Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week I'm in the unenviable position of hosting a guest whose uh, team <laughs> broke my heart over the weekend. It is Kit Holden for the traditional Berlin Derby conversation between me and him. We'll be talking about the rest of the league as well, but l let's face it. You know, the, the, the raison d'etre of this, <laughs> of this conversation is all about the Stadtmeisterschaft. Um, Kit Holden, very good to have you here, even considering the events of the weekend. That's very lovely to be here. I'm, I'm kind of wondering whether it's the first time I've actually been on as Stadtmeister, because I'm, I'm pretty sure all, like, the last ones have either been draws or, you know, case of defeats for me uh since we kind of started this tradition i'm not sure no whether. you were you were definitely on after the uh the the Feuerwerks, uh Kürper oh, okay. game okay. at uh at your stadium so you, you, you've you've been there you've been down this road before okay that's good 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 to know well we come full circle then because you know another another visit to the the outer first arrive proper and another painful defeat for for your guys yeah yeah Fair enough. Fair enough. At least, at least I don't have to wait all that long for uh, another crack at Union Berlin. Anyway, we're going to be right back with plenty of discussion about the Berlin Derby, about the rest of Match Day 12's big storylines. But you know, while I have you here, please do subscribe to the pod wherever you get your pods. Leave us a rating, write us a review, tell your friends about us, and if you're really feeling generous as hail, become a supporter on Patreon. We got lots of Bundesliga history podcasts, tactical breakdowns, single single club deep dives over there. It is a big help in keeping us going. Anyway, see ya. Let's crack on with part one of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part where we talk about, uh, you know, the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 12, of course. And, uh, you know, considering we do have Kit on the pod this week and we two sit on the either side of the red-blue divide in Berlin, it was going to take something pretty out of the ordinary to bump the Berlin Derby from top spot. Well, how about FC Bayern München losing to Augsburg and, and, and Borussia Dortmund actually getting a win to keep up the pressure on the Rekordmeister? That doesn't happen all the time. And how about an incipient COVID-related personnel crisis on Sebenastrasse on top of that? Does that sound good to you? Okay, well, I, don't worry. I, I will be handing over the, the Talking Fußball Berliner Stadtmeisterschaft trophy in, in, <laughs> in due time. But first, we really should talk about this situation at the top of the table. I mean, I think we all know that the, um, the lack of a legitimate title race is the thing that the Bundesliga has been chasing year after year after year after year. So when we have one, even at the level of match day 12, it's, it's well worth getting our heads around. Why don't we start by talking about, um, Bayern's trip to Augsburg, which I think many, if not most of us had written off as just, you know, you could, you could put that one on the books, three points. You could book it for Bayern. This is a team that's been hanging around the relegation zone all season, have Augsburg. Bayern have been, you know, at the top of the table or close to it all season. What in the world happened? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny, wasn't it? And then sort of fog descends and, and Bayern seemed to kind of just be about, you know, three seconds slower than they normally are and, and, and three 
other kinds of measurement more unorganized and, and just just not in any way their their proper selves. And I guess I guess you know a lot of people pointing to Marcel Zabitzer's performance in midfield as kind of obviously slightly out of position uh, and didn't have a very good game. Had a, a couple of errors, both of which led to goals. Maybe people are saying it shows a lack of depth in, in Bayern's squad this year. And when you have key players like Kimmich not in the team for, for reasons which we'll go into in a bit, I'm sure, that, that maybe they are weaker than they perhaps have been in, in previous years. But I think I think you can probably read a bit too much into that. It, it seems like they're, they're still finding themselves as a team this year. Um, it seems like whether it's the corona thing or whether it's just under a new coach and whether it's you know a few new players or a few more new transfers than usual they seem to be taking a bit longer to to, to really slide into that kind of completely and utterly metronomic rhythm and you know it's the third time now we've had a we've had a big big old banana skin and I mean you know if you look at the reactions to them I mean after the Gladbach game for example everyone around on was saying, oh, you know, they're going to thrash us, they're going to thrash us. And they they did, they won 5-2, but they still weren't, you know, they were, they were fantastic going forward, as they always are, but they needed a bit of luck in that game. They needed that game to go the way that it did go in the first half hour. They still, that in that game, didn't look like a team who were just crushing a team that is as much weaker than them on paper as, as, as Union are. And I think that's, that's not necessarily a concern, but it is interesting, it does give some hope to us you know, those of us even, despite my my sympathies with Bayern, who do hope that that maybe there might be another champion uh, in one of the next few seasons, because uh, the thing that's been missing in the, in the last few years is obviously Bayern stepping up, not not really other teams not being any good at all. Yeah, yeah, the the lack of consistency has has not been. Bayern's problem. It's it, people do talk and sometimes thematize this idea that you know when Bayern do drop points, it inevitably the teams who are in the chasing pack uh, do so as well. I think that's a bit of a red herring in that Bayern just drop points so infrequently, or at least have in in the last several years. So yeah, this this is encouraging not only in the fact that 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 Dortmund did go and and get a win this weekend. We'll be talking about that in a moment, but also that this is the third time that Bayern have just looked pretty whatever in the course of a season. I mean, eh, maybe maybe if we're going to talk about, you know, the performance that they put in against Frankfurt, they they really should have won that game. But yes, there have been a few a few blackouts from them. I want to press you a little bit about Joshua Kimmich uh, and his absence in this game. Mm-hmm. Yes, clearly he is one of their best players. He is one of the best players in the Bundesliga. But it's not as if Bayern have nobody else who can play that role. It's not as if Marcel Zabitzer isn't ordinarily a pretty handy player himself, even if he is a different sort of player to Joshua Kimmich. Maybe we should give Augsburg a little bit more credit for the way that they played this game. I mean, their speed, their directness in both attack and defense ended up being enough to to beat a team with clearly superior talent. What did you make of them in this game? And, um, what have you made of them in recent weeks when they have begun to show a few signs of life? Yeah, I think it's always a thing with Augsburg, isn't it? That seems to be every season it kind of there's a period where I think you think, oh, they are really really proper relegation candidates this year, and then they have at some point they they break the spell and they they have a good run and they they just get back to their normal natural state of you know thirteenth, fourteenth, reasonably safely away from the the drop zone. And I think this team is is 
there's no reason to think this team won't follow a similar path because, as you say, I mean, those things that they did so well on on Friday, that that directness in attack, that speed, that yeah, clinicalness going forward and on the counter attack and, and and using those chances, they, those are things that they've been doing for years and and have seen them win a lot of games where they haven't necessarily been the better team or they haven't had the better chances or uh, you know they haven't even had more luck, but they've managed to on the break and and you know use the opportunities they get and and i think that's yeah that's that's characteristic of of the club in a lot of ways and the, the teams they've had in the recent years and so it's yeah it's a tough start to the season for them but i think i think looking at the other teams around there uh they're one of the ones who i think are less likely to to completely uh self-immolate this season and friday's performance was a uh, confirmation of that. So. Yeah, yeah, I think there's there's other strong candidates for self immolation this year. Some some are already on fire. Let's let's start talking a little bit about the Corona question with Bayern. I think it's sort of forcing its way into the conversation. You know, I think many of us are pretty tired of the Corona conversation because, you know, we went through an entire lockdown. We went through uh, a series of, of, you know, precautionary measures. We got a vaccine. Most of us took it, but there still seems to be uh, a, a pretty, I don't know, a, a, a hardcore uh, group who's not really on board with the same measures that, that, that most of us are. That sort of is the first place we need to go with uh, Joshua Kimmich, who, of course, has missed time for Bayern on a previous occasion. We've had their coach, Julian Nagelsmann, miss time on a previous occasion. Following this game against Augsburg, there was an announcement that four additional players who have at other points in time on international duty all also been quarantined for, you know, COVID reasons. That's uh, Serge Nabri, Eric Maxim Chupomoting, Jamal Musiala, and, well, also Michel Cuisance, but, you know, whatever. It would seem that Bayern have... A real sort of, uh, I don't want to say like these, these players are all sort of in some kind of like cabal or whatever of, of players who don't want to get vaccinated and seem to be, I, I guess they're willing to, to, to suffer the consequences and, and put their team at a degree of, of a disadvantage by, by not doing that and being subject to somewhat more stringent quarantine rules. But I feel like this, this storyline, not only this, the the quarantine and, and missing game time, but also just like the persistence of this as a media narrative, has a little bit of potential to mess things up for them in a significant way. I mean, are are, are you feeling that too? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, neither of us are in in that dressing room or close enough to judge how how much of an effect it's having. But you know, as I said before, it is seems perfectly plausible that, that if a team is having trouble and, and, and looking slightly less gelled at times uh, or on certain occasions than, than we're used to seeing them, that, that something like that might be might be a reason because it is something that, as we know from, you know, probably a lot of us know from family tables or, or friendships or friends of friends or whatever, it is a very, very difficult thing to, to make your peace with if, if, if somebody close to you or somebody you work with or, yeah, one of your relatives is... is on a, on a totally different wavelength, shall we say, on an issue like that than than you are and than, than the majority of people in any given group are. And in that way, I, I do think it's kind of a, you know, it's one of those nice things where you can kind of frame it as as, as football or a football situation being a nice little kind of petri dish 
experiment for for wider society. I mean, if it's if it's four or five players in the in the Bayern squad, then you know that's that's about thirty percent, uh, which is about the amount you've got in Germany uh, broadly who haven't haven't been vaccinated yet. And uh, how the club deals with that, how the club tries to persuade those players to to get vaccinated, which is also I think it's always worth reminding those of us who are that that is the the aim with these people is to try and get them vaccinated, not just to you know <laughs> tell them they're, they're no, not just to people. pillory them. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the way Bayern handle this is is uh, and the way the you know the Bavarian government handles it, and the way the media handle it is, I think, quite an addictive thing of, of yeah broader issues, which yeah does make it make it exciting, not just from the point of view of the Bundesliga title race, but but also yeah much more important things. And I wouldn't want to be Oli Khan. Uh, or Hassan Salihamidzic in this situation, to be honest, because it's an extremely difficult thing to try and do, and uh, there are a lot more considerations than just one decision for or against. There's, there's when you when you've got people who are in the public eye who are fulfilling a role model role in society, and you're a you're an organisation that is as, as present as Bayern Munich is, then it's you know it's a much more complicated beast. Yeah, yeah, the sort of high-profile nature of this particular workplace is <laughs> very hard to replicate when it comes to media narratives. I mean, the latest thing that I'm reading, uh, and this is through Kicker, that that Bayern are are considering these quarantines now as as unpaid leave, and that you know they believe that that from a contractual or a, or a labor law perspective is a fine thing to do. How exactly has that decision been made from from your understanding? And, and do you think that it actually bears some promise in, in getting changing some minds, just a, a cost-benefit analysis maybe? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were discussing it just before we, we came on air as well. And uh, from what I've read, it, it seems to be that this is, you know, a line that's been worked into the latest state regulations, I guess, or, or uh I don't know what the word is in English before Ardnall, um on on coronavirus in Bavaria. Um, that if somebody is not vaccinated and uh, misses work through quarantine, then they can't claim that as sick leave, or the the, the employer has a has a right to say no, you're not getting paid for that time that you're in quarantine. Um, which, yeah, I mean, to my mind, I think that's probably more sensible policy making than as you say sort of pillorying people and 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 just banging the moral drum i think i think giving making it incentivizing it in in certain ways and in subtle ways and in uh yeah with with kind of a a light but firm touch shall we say in in policy making i think that's quite a good way to go and one would hope and i do i I don't i mean you refer to you know the people who aren't vaccinated as a hardcore and I, i i'm not sure it's true that they're all a hardcore. I think there are, you know, lots of different motivations and one would hope that some of the people who are perhaps saying, you know, not now or not yet or not for this reason or not with this type of vaccine, that that maybe if you if you move the goalposts on other considerations as well, like you say, with cost benefit analysis, that that, that pushes them, you know, into the other decision, um, uh, rather than pushing them into the hands of, you know, uh, the real hardcore people who yeah, we really don't want that to happen. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, we don't need a, uh, a Kvyadinka faction at Bayern München if we can help it. All right, well, let's leave that behind. I think this could be a very interesting story to monitor as the weeks pass, especially if this is a story that can take some turns over the course of the season, whether that's um, on the pitch or, or, you know, public outreach efforts that might happen down the line. But let's, let's talk about the team who, um, you know, were the big winners from, from Bayern's both lost this weekend and potentially turmoil coming up. That's uh, that's Borussia Dortmund. They they got a big win uh, at home to Stuttgart, although they were made to work for it. Daniel Malin got his first Bundesliga goal early in the second half, but Roberto Massimo sort of canceled it out a few minutes later. But not until five minutes from time and after a few top-shelf saves from uh, Dortmund keeper Gregor Kobo did uh, Marco Royce tip the game in Beifau Bay's favor. So we are now just down to one point separating Dortmund from Bayern. Kit, how are you feeling about the legitimacy of this uh, title race narrative? Is, is, is this one that you think we can, uh, we can milk for a little while longer, or is this uh, <laughs> all going to end after match day 14? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a boring answer, but I think it... it, it Completely depends on Bayern. If if the coronavirus issue or other issues in the squad do do turn out to be more serious than just kind of a flash in the pan, or you know more more linked to the performance than than perhaps we know they are, and Bayern keep having these moments where they they drop points, then I can see it you know being a really great title race. And and it's, and it's worth remembering, I think as well, that in the last few years, even though in that horrible kind of you know stat of of nine in a row, there have been times where even as late as April, there's been a really good-looking title race, and uh, or something very close to that, and then it's only in the last few weeks that it's Bayern have really pulled away again. So the margins are not so fine. I don't think the 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 amount that the balance needs to tip isn't isn't so much. And and if and if Bayern do have a few more of these kind of blackout days up their up their sleeve this season, then Dortmund could could profit. I don't see anyone else who can profit, and I don't see Dortmund not also. You know, having their days of of complete madness and and dropping points, so it, it's going to have to be a, a qualitatively low title race rather than a you know pound for pound both teams winning week in week out. I don't see that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be. You mentioned banana skins earlier, or banana peels, as, as we, we say on this <laughs> side of the the Atlantic. Um, the cultural clashes going on here. It's great to <laughs> exactly. promote British Anglo Anglo American friendship. <laughs> exactly. I do think it's it's pretty intriguing that Dortmund have managed to hang around, even in the absence of their you know Mister Everything striking Ubermensch. Erling Holland. I mean, it, it looks like he's probably not going to be fit for the uh, you know the the big game, the the classicer, which is what I was referring to about match day fourteen. It looks like he maybe will be back before the Hinrunde. I guess the latest what I've what I've read says that that it's possible he could be back before um, the end of the year. Not sure if that's going to make sense for his rehab. Not sure if that's going to make sense for the sort of, you know, <laughs> protecting the future assets of, of Holland Inc. But I think it's pretty intriguing that, that Dortmund have not had him for several games now and they're still in the position that they're in. I mean, what's to say if uh, he comes back and plays like he plays, um, that that could really provide a very big difference in how this title race might shape up. 
Sure, yeah, and it's, it's, as you say, a very good sign that, that Marlon seems to be hitting form and, and that, yeah, he's able to, if not there, uh, you know, pound for pound, like for light, replace Harland, at least at least be, you know, something more than, than a Julian Schieber kind of character. <laughs> There's clearly a, a, a massive golfing class or, you know, Eric Maxim Schieber promoting where, you know, uh, for all his qualities, he's not Robert Lewandowski. And, and so, yeah, if there's if there's a striker who, uh, obviously he's not on Haaland's level, but if he's scoring goals and they have, you know, they've been scoring two or three goals pretty consistently since Haaland got injured. So, yeah, that's a good sign for them, for sure. I want to turn our attention for a moment to uh, to Stuttgart. They've all obviously had a pretty poor start to the season. You know, after, after Augsburg beat Bayern on Friday, they leapfrogged them. Now Stuttgart are actually in the, the relegation playoff spot. But they were good against Dortmund in this game, and they could have won the game if, if things had gone slightly differently in the second half. I'm a little worried, however, even though I think that, that, that this was a good game and they might have something to build on from there. But their run-in to the end of the, of, of the Hinrunde is really tough. Uh, they have mites. They'll have one game, the game against, uh, you know, they're home to Hertha, which is, you know, a very winnable game. They're <laughs> home to Mites, home to Hertha, away, Wolfsburg, Bayern home, and Cologne away before the winter break. These are ex- excluding Hertha, who are marginally better than them. So, so, th- so the results say everybody is, is a lot better than them in terms of, of form, in terms of results, in terms of table. Is there something that's going to stop the bleeding for them or, or, or what do you reckon? Yeah, it's been something of a mystery to me this season because I really thought there was, you know, something to be done and, and everything seemed to be kind of going dandily. And I haven't mentioned so much them, but I mean, against Union, for example, they were they, they were very lucky to get that last uh, late equaliser. They were they were extremely blunt and and uh, without any real ideas or, or inspiration for for most of the game. And if Union had had played a bit more aggressively and and gone for the second goal, then they probably would have comfortably won. And I think that's that's a that's a worry because this, the the strength of Stuttgart last year was that kind of fearlessness and that that youthful verve and yeah inspiration if you like, which which appears to be not quite as much in abundance this season. So I, I hope they can get back on track because I think they were a very exciting side last year and they are a young team. So so maybe it's just a a blip. One would hope so because it'd be a shame to see them go. Right. Yeah. I, I wish them well as well. I, I it was it was great to see them come back to the league with such a bang last year with the way that they played with a great narrative surrounding a lot of young players, young coach. And I don't want to see him cave in. Good for talking football as well. So you know Americans no, yeah. doing well in the world as they No doubt, no doubt. Pellegrino Matarazzo, who play by play announcers never cease to remind us has a has a degree in math from Columbia. University. Let's move on. Let's get to the matter at hand, Kit. The Berliner Stadtmeisterschaft. Yeah, just it, it just like Berlin, you know, it, it's not just a derby. It's a Stadtmeisterschaft. It's it's a little bit bigger, a little bit sort of, uh, you know, more hype filled. That's you know, it's Berlin for you. I really thought this was a a Derby masterclass from from Horst Fischer and, and his boys. They were they were better. Union were better for uh, the whole game. They had more energy. They were more incisive with their passing. They were more alert, more clinical in front of goal. Just more everything, which I can't really say is a shock considering Union are have been mostly good this season and Hertha have been mostly bad. But it stung, man. In fact, I would say that this might be the most 
stinging defeat for any team in this derby since since Union came back in the Bundesliga. I mean, when Hertha won four nil in the Olympia Stadion, it was you know it was like week two of the the Geisterspiel era. Nobody really knew what was going on. Everyone was kind of like shell shocked when you know Hertha won the following one in the in the Hinrunde last year three one. You had the Robert Andrich red card, which kind of muddied the narrative a little bit. But this was this was a, a regular game in front of fans, eleven versus eleven for ninety minutes, and Hertha just were second best the whole time. Am I am I catastrophizing here, kid, or do you kind of see this loss as 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 bad as I do? Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I think it's um it's kind of indicative as well of of. If you draw that comparison with previous derbies of, of what these two clubs have done in, in the years since Union have come up. Um, at the end of the game, all the Union fans in the Adverse Array were, were singing a song which basically goes along the lines of, look at this house, so this is how you do it, and taunting them and saying, you know, that we're, we're doing good work and while you're just, you know, running around with your millions of, of euros and wasting money and... and Hiring the same guy twice in the, <laughs> in the space of three years. But see, um, that's what we were trying to do. That we're, we know how to do that. <laughs> and I think, I mean, House's performance in many ways on on Saturday was quite similar to the one, the previous one in, in the Outer First Orion in 2019. They were, you know, similarly blunt and sort of, yeah, just just poor. <laughs> There's no other way of putting it. And on your own, we're a totally different team because in the three years since they've come up, they're you know, no longer the underdog, no longer they've developed from a team that is, is very, very well organised and, and looked to, to grab results where they could in that first year to a team that looks to dominate games and, and is flexible and, and can play attacking football and, to, and can you know take games to the opposition. And that's exactly what they did. I think with on your own, I'll get into that, I think, maybe, uh, in a bit, but I think Cruiser coming back was a, a really showed on, on Saturday as well, particularly in that first half hour. But I think, yeah, generally, it was a game that, that really did show that there there is perhaps uh, a changing of the guard and, and you know, uh, perhaps it'd be too going too far to say that Onion are, are now definitely, you know, the, the best level, the best team in Berlin. But uh, on current form, they certainly are. And on, on current... Uh, in their current state, uh, they're a much healthier team and a healthier club than Hatteron. Yeah. There was a lot of talk, I think, following this game because of some of these factors that you you, you, you brought in. But a word that got bandied around a lot was Planlosigkeit. This was essentially on, this is on the part of Hertha. This, what it means is that, you know, it's a team that doesn't have a plan, uh, especially going forward. You know, is that what you saw? And, and you know, if Union have a plan – what is their plan? What's the difference there? Well, I think I think Union have various different plans. That's that's the 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 thing that that's come out from this season. I mean, as I say, in the first season in the Bundesliga, it was it was a lot more defensive or a lot more about organisation and soaking up pressure and, and getting goals and results where you could. In the second year, there was a, a conscious kind of move to to play more attacking football, which which worked and which you know was successful in that development. And and this year. You're seeing a kind of the ability to yeah play a couple of different systems, both of them almost as well as, as the other, three at the back or four at the back. The game changes depending on whether the game play changes depending on whether Abouni is there, depending on whether Cruiser is there. The width in their game changes. The the you know which players are the attacking wide players changes obviously depending on which. And but it doesn't it doesn't seem to really unsettle them when they have to change. 
those systems. And that's that's I think the 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 big thing coming out of this season is that they just look so whatever the situation, whatever the the system they're playing, they look everybody looks like they know what their job is. And that is just not the impression you get that I got from from Hertha on Saturday. You know, the times they were they were, you know, there were players who were obviously giving, you know, hundred percent and were running around and, you know, flying into tackles, but it didn't seem like there was any kind of direction. Yeah, yeah. And I think um I think that's basically a situation that um Hertha fans are gonna have to live with for the re- remainder of this season. I mean, barring some sort of thunderbolt, either, you know, players suddenly figuring things out or Pal changing his uh, his philosophy significantly, which seems extremely unlikely, or some sort of January transfer, which, you know, those, those rarely work out in, in that sort of way. I think that we're stuck in neutral for the remainder of the season, which is a tough place to be. I think just on that, just because you mentioned January transfer, I think that that was another thing that really showed. I think from from Saturday, from Onyon's perspective, is one of the most amazing things Fisher has done is that he's made players who who you really wouldn't have thought could get to that level, get to that level, or get beyond the level that they they would have said they could get to. I mean, think about Christopher Tremel. Everybody loves him on Onyon because you know he's the captain, and he's one of the longest serving players, and, and he's a nice guy. But I don't think anybody two or three years ago would have said. Yeah, this guy can can keep his place in in a team that's you know playing around the top six of the Bundesliga. Um, he didn't look like a player who could who could make that jump, and he has made that jump and some. Even though he's had competition, and even though he's you know it's not been a completely automatic thing that he plays. And there's other players. Gieselmann has come into his own this season. Avoni has has developed hugely under Fischer, and he, there's a, there's a sense that this team, this environment, this coach drags players up and. That means when you get such good value out of players as well, where where you know they don't have to in a January transfer window or in a summer transfer say you know okay we need a player to to stop a gap or, or you know bring life into the team again or any of these things because everyone's playing above their level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when Union make these pickups. Because let, let's face it, they do make a lot of pickups. They there tend to be a lot of roster churn from from year to year. But you know, when I look at them signing people like uh, you know Ronnie Kadira or Genki Haraguchi, who are essentially at least their previous track record has sort of shown them to be replacement level Bundesliga players. <laughs> Suddenly they go to Union and they're good. <laughs> And that's not a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And Haraguchi, I mean, is 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 the again a metaphor for the, the the respective fates of these two clubs. How good Haraguchi appears to be playing for Union, and uh, how unexpected that was based on his his previous runs with Hannover and Hertha. You know, I'm sure you feel very good about this win. How do you feel overall about the season? I mean, I'm sure you feel very good about where you are in the table, fifth. Awesome. How are you feeling about how things are going in the the UEFA Europa Conference League, which has been a little bumpy, but still still could be rescued, I guess. Yeah, it could. I'd be interested to know how much Fisher really wants to rescue it at this point. Um, I don't think the the prize money is is particularly massive. I think there may be a even though he would he would never admit it, and and obviously they want to win every game, but there's possibly a voice in his head which says. You know, given that they can only finish second in that group, and that means a, another round to play, another two games in winter and spring, that maybe he thinks, well, it wouldn't be the the worst thing if we if we you know bow out gracefully with with one more win against Maccabi Haifa or whatever, and then 
and then that's it. But they still could. The maths are still there that if they win those last two games, they've got a chance to go through. And so I don't think it's impossible. Um, the fans would love it, obviously. It's a shame in some ways. I think it's quite often a thing you see when a team gets into Europe for the first time or gets into the Champions League for the first time that, you know, in theory, it's all there. In theory, they're a better team than, than some of the teams they're playing against, but they just don't have the, the nafs or the luck. And that's been very much on Jorn's situation in, in, in this group, which is they got a pretty tough draw with these kind of gnarled old uh, European Cup, you know, centurions like Slavia Prague and, and, and Feyenoord. And I think that shows that that... that comparative lack of experience of a, of a tournament and so yeah well, well it, it's not impossible home home game against Slavia and a, an away game against Maccabi the weakest team in the group is it's still uh still possible to get through but I, I think um if if we don't then there'll be people will be pretty philosophical about it we've we've had some fun and as I say the prize money is not not so big yeah yeah and I I, I agree their draw definitely raise the attractiveness factor of a competition which is struggles against the perception that it's not very good but um they, they would have had an easier time if they had drawn you know lincoln red imps or uh alaska yerevan yeah i could have gone, i could have gone for lincoln red imps alaska yerevan and then like tottenham or something you know like one really really juicy and then and then a couple of cannon fodder would have been nice but uh yeah no instead we got a trip to israel the the horrible situation with the final fans and slavia prague who are Equally tough to be. Yep, yep. They have been down these roads a few times before, these other sides. All right, let's take a break and come back and talk about other things that occurred on Match Day 12. Schadmeister. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. This is the part now where we uh, wrap up the rest of Match Day 12. I think I want to start with the signs of life from Eintracht Frankfurt on Sunday. They they, they rode goals from Jesper Lindstrom and uh, Philip Kostic to a 2-0 win at the Europa-Park-Stadion in, in Freiburg. That was actually Freiburg's first loss in their new home ground. Probably a win that was a little fortunate for Eintracht, but not not really undeserved. Maybe maybe this is just Freiburg's wildly outplaying their expected goals up to now, uh, coming back to bite them. Uh, what, what did you make of this game? Yeah, I think um, as you say, it was it was reasonably fortunate if you look at the two goals. I mean, you had you had one that was sort of a bouncing off shins in the in the box, and a, you know, flurry of defenders, and then and then a poacher's finish, and then you had the other, which was a free kick that was supposed to be a cross that, you know, nobody decided was worth getting anywhere near. And oh, so it was just, amazing. Any goal that takes a bounce in in the penalty area on its way in. And it's literally a ball, a ball, a ball sort of strolling, strolling into the in, into the corner with like a sort of a pipe in his left hand and a, and a monocle, you know, on a Sunday walk. Just like, oh, I'm just going to go over here. It was like, oh, hello, oh, I'm gone. And yeah, so from that perspective, it was it was really fortunate. But, you know, they, they scrapped and they, they, they were... You know they 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 didn't not deserve it, um, and I think that's as you say it's a, a sign of life, and it's, it's kind of seems to be the trend with with Eintracht at the moment that the performances aren't aren't amazing. They're not. It's not like they're they're really hitting their rhythm and and looking like a, a really fantastic side uh, yet, but they are now grinding out results, which they weren't at the start of the season, and a start uh, and with a bit more time, uh, we know that Glasner is is. Good enough to get a team. And Freiburg's point of view, I, the, the post-match interviews, they all seem pretty, uh, 
pretty philosophical because you know, they're still third after 12, 12 games and, and they're still Freiburg. So um, I don't think anybody was, was really sort of clutching their pearls and, and howling in, in despair at the fact that they lost their first home game. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way that the table is shaping up right now, essentially, I mean, there's, there's two gaps in the table larger than two points. I mean, you have a gap between Dortmund and Freiburg in second and third, and then you have a big gap between Bielefeld and Fürth in 17th and 18th. And then literally everything is either one or two points uh, separating. So, like, you know, <laughs> easy come, easy go. I mean, a few weeks ago, Frankfurt were, you know, barely above the drop zone. Now they're, you know, up to 11th and within, you know, five points of Europe, so... A lot of teams are going to go down a lot of different roads for the rest of the season. Let's mention also the the other Sunday game, which uh, was Mainz and Cologne. This was a draw, a 1-1 draw in Mainz. I guess this is sort of – I guess you could say this is a battle of, of, of two clubs who for the last several seasons have been, you know, living in a state of, of precarity and are now sort of adjusting to life as, you know, mid-table slash marginal European teams. Cologne, though, they, they probably should have found a way to win this game, right? Yeah, I think Bamgart said afterwards that, that you look at the last 10 minutes and they're happy with the point because, you know, Mainz were really knocking on the door again, had a really good chance from, from Johnny Borka. And but you look at the whole 90 minutes and they're, they're disappointed with the point because really they, they had chances to, to win that game. It does seem to be a bit of a trend at the moment for Bamgart's Cologne that they can't really win games. I think it's six draws now, so that's half the games they've drawn. Some of those, like the Union game, they're you know probably happy to draw, but but others they they definitely feel that they could have won them. So yeah, it was definitely a draw. Though you felt that both teams were not were not particularly happy with it, and and felt they could have got more from it. But that that does, like you say, speak volumes about about how much further up and, and better off they are at this point than they were maybe a year or two years ago. What is your overall take about uh, Stefan Baumgart and Cologne? I mean. I guess last season, Bo Svensson, his his opposite number in this in this game, was sort of the toast of the league. He was the the coach who people were able to sort of point to and say, when you have the right person in charge, things can go um, in the right direction very very quickly. And I would say, at least thus far this season, despite the fact that that you know Cologne are not flying quite as high as they used to be, but they're they're still very tough to beat. You have to really say that Stefan Baumgart has made a huge difference, not just in results, but the sort of atmosphere surrounding this club, the, the play style. I mean, what's he doing that's so right? And and are you surprised? I mean, he's he's had some Bundesliga experience, of course, with Paderborn and, you know, mostly got beat up because that club has very little resources. But what do you make of him and his 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 young tenure? Well, I think, I mean, you know, we look at the Bundesliga results and you say, yeah, they, they, Baumgart's Paderborn got beat up quite a lot. But one of the reasons they did was because they played expansive football and, and uh, weren't quite good enough or, you know, at that level to get away with it. Um, but in the Zweite Liga, they, they really were a very dangerous side who, who could beat the best in the league quite quite comprehensively on their day by playing really, really good football. And I think that's that's obviously exciting for for current fans. Got obviously, on your own guy, I would... I would uh, say this, but you know he's he's a, a very likable guy with his kind of straight talking. It's a bit a bit, a bit more charisma and a bit more fun uh, with someone like that as coach than some other people that that maybe kind of do the rounds in the fifth Bundesliga clubs and 
do a year here and nine months here and and play the same kind of efficient but but not particularly inspiring football and I think that's that's one there's one thing to say that's good for the fans and it is and I think Cologne particularly a proud club like Cologne who who do you know see themselves as as fun loving and uh, all the rest of it I think they they are probably owed a, a coach like that but it's also good for the players. I mean, I think I think it seems to be from from my perspective a long way off and, and not following the club closely that you know even if there are still problems about about getting results or about you know really really internalising the playing style and there's still a few teething issues that they seem to be behind him and he seems to have brought you know uh, a good atmosphere into that dressing room and I think that's a yeah something that they they will be able to build on. Yep, Cologne, a club that sort of <laughs> lives on vibes, lives on atmosphere, lives on euphoria. The longer they can keep that uh, around, and it does seem sustainable as far as as far as we've seen so far, the better. Okay, so Mites, they're up on eighteen points, which is I guess three three above Cologne, despite their 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 draw. A couple of teams level with Mites. We got uh, Gladbach. We've also got RB Leipzig there. Quite quite diverging fortunes. This weekend, Gladbach were, you know, thundering winners against bottom club, uh, four nil winners, whereas, uh, Leipzig were two nil losers in Zinsheim against the Hof. Fancy talking about either one of these two teams. I mean, Gladbach, obviously, when you beat a bad team bad, that, that's a good thing. Well, wait, but, can you, can yeah. you, I, I was thinking about this earlier. Who was the last foot? Like a really, a really, really bad team at the bottom who who came up and just got absolutely panned week in, week out. Who was like when I run the Bundesliga last time a team like that? Oh, I mean, uh, maybe it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be so to be fair. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like it's been quite a long time, and yeah, for for 2013, I guess it would have been or just may have been the last one because it, it is funny seeing this, you know, a team that's obviously so much. I guess Paderborn maybe. Couple of years ago, yeah, Paderborn had had some some serious issues, but as you say, they did come out with a certain cavalier plan that was that certainly made a few friends along the way. Yeah, I I would have to say they were pretty helpless. I mean, I guess this was before, but I mean, Braunschweig were pretty helpless mm. for a while. I don't know, maybe maybe it is Fiat. Yeah, it's just a, yeah, as you say, it's, it's an interesting thing when you get a team like that because you just the results seem kind of meaningless. Do you know what I mean? I mean what, what, what does that say about Gladbach that they beat for four 0 I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's one for their their highlight reel. You know, add a couple of goals to to some of the the, the, the players' uh, stats. Good for them. What do you make, however, of Leipzig? This was not just a loss to Hoffenheim, but this was a bad loss. This was a game. It wasn't just that things weren't going their way or that they weren't finishing. They got beat and they were outplayed. Um, this is not something that's happened a ton this season, but considering the sort of expectations that you have at a club like RB, it's okay maybe for a while to play well and not get results. But if you're not playing well and you're not getting results, there could be trouble. Yeah, and they don't seem to be able to sustain form, which is uh, a bit worrying because they have these kind of you know flashes, and you think, oh, okay, they've 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 worked it out, and then suddenly a result and a performance like this again, and and I think it's um, I w- if I were uh, an NBA fan, which I'm not, um, but if I were, then I would be worried about Jesse Marsh saying, I feel like I've heard him say it four or five times this season already. He'd come out and he said, oh, I don't understand. You know why we played like this, or what went wrong, or 
And that, I mean, apart from the fact that I think it's a it's a stupid thing to say, even if you don't, because you know it doesn't fill anybody with confidence, uh, let alone your players. I was thinking the same thing when I saw this. I can't explain it. Quote come from him, I was like, I think he might have just said that one too many times. Yeah, it's a bit Ole Gunnar Solskjaer already, isn't it? It's kind of, um, you know, nice guy, club, you know, he's, he's got the RB DNA and, and it should be the perfect, perfect hire and blah, blah. But if he really can't, you know, get results out of this team in the way that he should be getting them, then maybe there's there's something fundamentally wrong. I think, I think he is on thin ice and I think unless... I think a he needs a, a few good results now after that after that bad performance and b he, what he really needs is a good sustained period of form because that's what he hasn't hasn't had yet as as a big coach there's been some good performances and good results but never really a good run. Yep, yep. A bit funny that it came against Hoffenheim, which you know, speaking of inconsistency, uh, <laughs> there's hardly a more inconsistent side in the Bundesliga than. Hoffenheim. Any thoughts about where that team might be headed? Not really. I don't really think about Hoffenheim that much. <laughs> you know, there's, there's other things in life than thinking about Hoffenheim. <laughs> I, I, I really have no opinion. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it, it's, it's good to be honest. We had a couple of more games on the weekend. One, I think, had, had a, a real sort of narrative surrounding it. Hashtag narrative, which would be uh, Bielefeld versus Wolfsburg in that Bielefeld jumped out to a 2-0 lead. And I think when that result sort of came across people's, uh, you know, whatever app you use for your scores, <laughs> it caused a few uh, head scratches. But uh, Wolfsburg did make good in the end. They came back to a, to earn a 2-2 draw. What's your take on the young tenure of uh, Floco at uh, Florian Kofeld? at uh, Wolfsburg. Is he on to something? Is this just sort of um, the the beginnings of a long career as a Bundesliga retread manager? I, I hope so, because uh, I like him. I'm not entirely convinced, to be honest. I, I like him uh, pursuing the tradition of, of Werder Bremen people going to Wolfsburg, and I like the idea that, you know, him and Klaus Ados just do it because they'd like, no, I must, I must go to a green club, so I'll, I'll go to Wolfsburg. <laughs> totally, like... Asian character, but but green shirts that that'll do. Um, it's like kind of Ersatzwerder. But uh, yeah, I hope so. I wonder though as well whether it's also just proof that maybe they fired Van Bommel a bit too early, and maybe uh, he could have, you know, if the situation had been different, or if there'd been more trust, or if you know, whatever reasons there were weren't there, he also could have got got that out of this team, and that wasn't kind of chronic. That breakdown because he is a good team and Glasner's, you know, built a very good team over the over his couple of years and so I think it's probably more that than than Caulfield and then the normal bounce of a new manager um, that every team gets. But uh, I'd like to be proved wrong. I'd like Florian Caulfield to you know lead a title charge with Wolfsburg. I think there's a, a certain romance in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, despite the fact that Wolfsburg are not, um, they're not the first club when it comes to uh, people's mentions of, of romance. No, but I think there's a kind of, you know, there's a, it's, it's 2009 is, is long enough, long enough ago to, you know, be retro now. So I think, uh, you know, with the right, with the right environment, you can kind of say, yeah, all right, go for a bit of Wolfsburg action. It's more fun than Dortmund anyway. It's got to be a bit of galling for uh, Bielefeld, you'd have to say, considering they, they took a, a two goal lead in this game and they were sort of on the verge of getting a really high quality, win. Just to sort of put the relegation fight in context, 
we got Fjord on one point. We got Bielefeld on nine points. Stuttgart on 10. Augsburg on 12. And then Bochum and Hertha both on 13. Obviously, Bielefeld are a bit of a, they're, they're a cut above Fjord. Uh, do you think that they're really uh, ready to mix it up with those uh, those other sides in the immediate vicinity, or what do you make of of them thus far? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think they're a, a, a better side than that place in the table kind of indicates. Um, and I think, yeah, similarly to, I mean, they're they're not as established and it's not quite as sort of stable and secure. But um, similarly to Augsburg, I think they have like fundamental strengths in that team and uh, in that squad that that. Can be drawn on in a in a in a dogfight in which they did draw on last year, uh, when people did expect them to go down, particularly after Neuhaus was was given the boot. So, I think I think there's a chance. I think you know again it, it depends a little bit on you know whether Hatter and, and Stuttgart really really fall apart or if they they both rally and because if they do then then there's not really it's basically Rochum and, and Augsburg down there and I'd back Augsburg to stay up and then yeah there's no real other contender but but I think you know. I wouldn't write off Peter Film. Uh, yeah, I guess we, we can move now to uh, one of those one of those other relegation rivals, uh, Bochum, who you know have gotten a few pretty nice wins in this young season, but they were losers on the weekend. They lost to uh, Bayer Leverkusen one nil. I can't really think of a of a storyline to to build around this around this game. I I think it's just it's it's a result in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like Hoffenheim. I'm, you know, I'm glad it's there. I'm not even glad it's there. I'm, I'm, I'm totally and utterly ambivalent about it being there. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah, lovely. Leverkusen one, Bochum nil. I don't know. I, I, I lived, I lived in the Rhineland long enough to go to quite a few games at uh, at Leverkusen. So I, I actually have pretty warm feelings about them. It's, it's good to see them rehabilitate themselves after the nosedive that they uh, took after after getting beat by Bayern. I do like. I, I tell you what I do like about Leverkusen this year is the the vertical stripes back on the shirt because I feel like there's there's been too long uh, since they in that you know obviously the classic Leverkusen shirt from from 2002 and I feel like they've for years had these like really pansy kind of corporate looking yeah like rubbish shirts and this one's a good strong shirt big fan of it yeah it's their best shirt in years best shirt in a really long time. Really underrated quality of these shirts. The numbers on the back, mm. the the block, the big fat block letters that they've chosen, they really stand out. They're very legible and they're very strong. Like that's that's my favorite aspect aside from the the the, the rich stripes. Yeah, uh, big kudos for the shirt, Leverkusen. Less so for the boring one 0 result. Hey, you know, <laughs> this is brought to you by Yakult. <laughs> All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Very good to have you back on the pod, Herr Stadtmeister. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're very gracious, Matthew. It's been lovely to be here. I hope, I hope we can uh, return in January as well at the next uh, next fateful meeting between your terrible team and, and my staff <laughs> exactly exactly alright you can follow him on twitter at Kit Holden and if you want to contact me of course I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there Talking Foosball Extra they're going to be back in just a couple of days and Talking Foosball Fantasy they will get you ready for match day 13 before the week is out this is the next in Mullion. 